Hey, Cornerstone. Glad you're here today. And you know, I get it. It's summer, and there's, there's like a hundred places uh, you could be right now. And I just think it's so cool that you've chosen to be here and in this place and just trying to figure out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so I just honor you for being here in this place today, braving the heat uh, and the scalding oven that is called Arizona on the deal. Very cool. Hey, we're starting a brand new series together. It's called White Flag. And here's uh, what comes out of that and where we're beginning this journey. I guarantee you that if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time whatsoever, there have been terrifying moments in your life when God said to you, look, here's the next thing we're going to work on. This is, this is the next decision uh, for you to make. And in that moment, you went, God, wait, 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 wait. Look, I, I mean, I've already given you so much, and, I, and, I've, and I've already surrendered so many parts of my life, and I was just hoping that that thing, the thing you're pointing to right now, and the thing you're asking me for, I, my intent was to eventually probably maybe give that to you, but I was just hoping it would be like years from now. I was hoping I'd be like 80, and my life would be over, and then you would ask me for that part of my life, and, and I, I'm just going to tell you, this is too quick. This is, this is too much, too fast. And what you and I have the potential to do in that moment is go, look, could, could we negotiate a truce? Could I maybe like give you this other part of my life? I mean, I, I, I wasn't even going to give you that. But could I give you that part of my life? And then would you like leave me alone on this thing? Would you just, we, could, could we just no, negotiate kind of a ceasefire for a little while? And what you and I are going to discover as we journey together for the next uh, four weeks is that there is no such a thing as a truce with God. Uh, that you and I will either eventually come to this moment of total surrender in which we just say, look, here's, here's my life, God, and, and you just can have all of it and do with me whatever you want. Or you and I will spend a lifetime wrestling with God. But there are no truces in this journey of faith. And that as you and I attempt to do that, we actually set our lives up for all sorts of pain, all sorts of frustration in our lives. And when the real answer is simply this, sometimes, sometimes the best option is surrender. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump in for the next few weeks in the life of a guy who struggles in exactly this area that you and I struggle in. He wrestles with the very things. And there's a moment that comes today early on in the story where God says, hey, this is what I need. This is what I want from you next. And he goes, God, look, you're just so out of bounds. You've, just, you've gone so far in what you're at. You're asking me something that I never intended for you to be in charge of. And no, my answer is just flat no. I, I will not. I cannot. I choose not to obey you in this part of my life. So here we go. If you have your Bibles and you can turn there, it's the book of Jonah. Uh, some of you right now are uh, a little bit freaked out because you're going, I have no idea where the book of Jonah is in the Bible. And that's okay because there are Christians in this room who have been Christians for 10 plus years and they have no idea where the book of Jonah is. So I'm going to help you find this book, okay? So uh, here we go. Uh, if you'll go to the very center of your Bible and then start working to the right, uh, you're eventually going to run into probably Ezekiel, Daniel, okay? And start slowing down uh, when you do, okay? And then go Hosea, Joel, slow down, slow down, slow down. We're landing on the aircraft carrier. Amos, Obadiah, 
Jonah, teeny, teeny, tiny book right there. Did you find it? Okay, so here's the deal. Take that ribbon thing in your Bible and put it on Jonah because we're going to be in this book for the next three weeks and you do not want to have to do that again. Okay, so put the ribbon thing there and it'll save you uh, next week as we do this. So here we go. This is the story of a prophet of God by the name of Jonah who struggles because God asked him to do something. He said, look, God, that, that you just asked me to do the thing that I was never, ever going to be willing to do for you. Okay, so here it is. It's the book of Jonah, uh, starting in verse 1. Here's how it reads. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go, God said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran. Isn't that interesting? I you go, I, I don't get it, Jonah. I mean, you're supposed to be a prophet. I mean, you're already in ministry, and I mean, isn't that what prophets do? They go places where people need to hear about God, and, and they preach there, and now God simply asks you to do what's probably a, a normal part of your job description, and your answer is, absolutely not. God, you have, you've just overstepped the bounds. You just asked me to do something that I have absolutely no desire. I was never intending to do that. Part of this is understanding the background. Nineveh has been a generational enemy of Israel. They have for years and years and years come across the border raiding the Israelites, raping their women, killing their men, stealing their crops. And as Jonah has sat in Bible study, uh, he has prayed every single week, dear God, dear God, dear God, kill the Ninevites. And now all of a sudden, God says, no, 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 Jonah, I'm going to send you to preach to them so that they may actually become God followers. And Jonah goes, dude, I, wait. No, 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 no. Here's, here's the deal. I, I have given you so much of my life, and there's, I'm, I'm, I'm in ministry, God. I, I, I have obeyed you in so many areas, but God, I told you from the beginning, I let you know this was a no-no. This, this was a place that, that absolutely not... And you've, you've just totally crossed boundaries here, God. I mean, you've just, you have just gone too far, and there's, there's, just, there's just no way. And if you're really going to push the issue, if you're really going to, no, no, and Jonah runs. This is crucial for you and me, because here's my guess. My guess is that there's a bunch of us in the room who've had exactly that same negotiation with God. That you and I have said, hey God, look, here's the deal. I, I'm more than happy to give you these portions of my life. Here's, here's the areas I'm, I'm more than willing to be obedient in. Truth is, I've actually given you a couple areas that I never thought I would give you. But here's what you need to know, God. If you and I are going to negotiate a truce here, there, there's some stuff you just can't touch. There's some parts of my life that, God, you just have no business in and if you poke there, if you begin to ask for that, then my answer is no. You are just way out of bounds, God. Jonah's struggle is this. Our struggle is this. Jonah is a selective obeyer. He struggles with selective, which just means simply this. God, there are certain places in my life that I'm willing to be obedient to you in, but you need to know there's also some places in my life that I absolutely reserve for myself, for my own leadership, and my own direction. 
And I will pick and choose which parts of my life you get and which parts of my life that you just aren't ready for yet. See, the truth is, I just don't know what you would do if I gave you that part of my life. You might ruin me. You, you could really mess my life up if I gave you that part of my life. So here's the deal. I will give you a couple non-essential parts of my life and you can audition for the others. And if you behave yourself, and God, if you perform at a level that's acceptable for me, I might consider letting you have control of some of the other parts of my life. He's a selective obeyer. Maybe this helps just a little bit. Some of us in the room today, you're on this side of the cross. You're pre-Jesus. You're just still trying to figure out, what do I even think of this God thing? And where does Jesus fit in my life? And do I really need a Savior and, and you're just trying to land all of that for yourself. And as you and I continue the journey in the next couple of weeks, your white flag moment, your moment of surrender, may be as simple as just coming to the cross and just saying, look, God, I've, I've spent a lifetime kind of running away from you, and, and, and I've, I've looked at moments in my life that maybe were good moments, and sometimes they were hard moments, and what I didn't even realize was that each of those was you trying to get my attention and I'm just going to decide my surrender, my white flag is going to be to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of us uh, are on the other side of the cross. Uh, you're, you're what we would call a baby Christian. Th this stuff is so new to you, and, and you're still just processing it. And, and the reality is there's not a whole lot of Jesus on you yet. Uh, you're, you're just barely on the other uh, side of the cross. You're a baby Christian. And, and here's the deal. You, if you didn't tell somebody that you were a Christ follower, no one would know because you don't look like it very much. Ladies, I'm just going to tell you, every time a gal says to me, look, he looks just like his father. I don't get it because I have never seen a baby that didn't look like a fat, constipated old man. Okay? And, and, if, and, if, and if that looks like me, then I am deeply insulted. Okay? So... And look, if you're a baby Christian, here's the deal. You've got a lot of constipation to get over, and you've got a long way to go before you're going to look a whole lot like Jesus. And, and that's okay, because you're a baby Christian, and that's, and that's what it is. But some of us have moved to a new place in our life. And it's a place where we have become selective obeyers of God. We've, we, we've, we've moved into this place of selective obedience and, and what we've done is we've said, look, here's, here's the deal, God, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to uh, give you a part of my life. I'm willing to give you a piece of this. But here's the deal. I, I'm not sure that I can totally trust you yet, and I'm not sure what you're going to do if I give you this part of my life. So I'm going to put a tether on it. And, and so even as I give this part of my life to you, I'm going to have a little bit of a safety rope as I do it. And then here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch how you handle this. And so some of us would say, look, okay, here's the deal. I'll give you my, my family. And I'm, I'm just going to trust you with my home life. But here's the deal, God. I'm not ready to give you these other because you're kind of auditioning for the job of Lord. And, and, and assuming that you perform well and assuming that you follow direction well, I'll consider, you know, maybe at some point, you know, I'd, I'd be able to bring you uh, my finances and 
you know, who knows, maybe, maybe at some other point, I, I'd even let you speak into, like, my career and what I do there. And then, I don't know, I mean, you know, if, if you surprise me a little bit, I, I might even let you uh, deal with some of my habits that I've got in my life. But here's the reality, God. There are some boxes. No. No, 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 no. See, I, there, there's no way I'm going to let you mess with those until I see what you do with these. And, and if I were to give you those right now, you could really ruin me. So I'll stay managing these parts. This is, this is the line, God, that you just, you just can't cross. And if, if I'm impressed, maybe someday, it's a selective obeyer. And the reason that this is crucial is because my guess in this room is that many, many, maybe even the majority of us in this room are stuck in this phase of our Christian walk. And if we were absolutely honest, we'd say, look, I, God's not really Lord of my life because if I, if I told the truth, I've given him parts of my life and I've given him areas that I'm willing to, but I, there's, there's just stuff that, there's just no way. There's just no way I could trust him with that part yet. It's selective obedience. And then there's this final place where a person comes to and says, look, this is the throne of my life. And I mean, whoever sits there is going to be Lord of my life. And there's a Christian who begins to realize and say, you know what, when I stay in charge and when I do things my own way, it doesn't turn out the way I'd hoped. And they get up out of the throne and they put Jesus there one time, forever. It's a moment of surrender in their lives. Now, here's the deal. If you find yourself today, probably how many, many, many people in this room find themselves today, you go, look, Glenn, if I was, if I was honest, I'm stuck in that selective believer thing. And, and don't get me wrong, Lynn, my hope is, is that, you know, as I move on in my Christian life, I'm going to eventually give a little more to God and a little more to God and a little more to God. You just need to know that you've put your life in a highly untenable position. Matter of fact, here's the deal. When you choose to be a selective believer, you say two very profound things in your heart. One is this. I can't give all of my life to God because I am terrified that God does not understand me. That he doesn't know truly what it takes to make me happy. He, he, he doesn't understand what, it, what I need in order to be fulfilled. And if I gave him all of my life, he would blow it. And he would somehow, just because he doesn't understand and get, he, he wouldn't land this thing where it needs to land. And I would live forever disappointed because I surrendered my life to God. Or the second thing you're saying is, no, 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 no. I think God knows me. I think he gets it. I think he gets what I need and what would fill me up. Here's the deal. He's just too mean, too cruel. He's on some sort of an ego trip, and he wants to prove he's God, and he's got to, so he's just going to purposely not give me what I need in my life to prove a point. And I don't dare, I don't dare, I don't dare give my life to God. I was a 
youth pastor for many years, and this scenario played out over and over again. There'd be a 14-year-old girl, and she had just broken up with her 17-year-old boyfriend who was as far away from God as a guy could be. And throughout their dating experience, he had done everything he could to leverage himself to try to get in, get her pants off. And now uh, they're broken up. And here's this 14-year-old girl sobbing to me, and she goes, Lynn, God has been so unfair. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed that Jeff would love me. He's the most popular guy at school, and now because I was trying to be a good Christian and I kept saying, whoa, I can't, and no, he's gone, and he's already dating Amanda, and they're already going to bed together, and God has ruined my life, and I don't think I can ever trust God again. Can I tell you what I wanted to do to that 14-year-old girl? Are you kidding? If God really did break you up, I mean, if that's what, do you realize, do you get, do you realize that that would be the best thing that could have ever happened to you? And, and now you're sitting in a moment because, you ready for this? Because God didn't obey the way you told him to obey. And God didn't do what in your 14-year-old heart you thought he should do. You're telling me that you can't trust God anymore? I'm just wondering how many 14-year-old girls we've got in the room. How many Christians who find themselves in a moment who say, I am having such a hard time trusting God and giving him all of me because here's the deal. I told God what he needed to do and God let me down. And, and, I, and I knew that that boy was going to make me happy. I knew if God gave me that job, that it would fill my heart. I knew if I could drive that car. And God didn't do it. And God didn't show up. And, and so now I'm just going, look, if I can't trust you with that, I don't know that I can trust you with any other part of my life. Is it possible? Is it possible that the very thing that you're struggling with, is it possible that the very thing you're angry at God with, is it possible that the very thing that has challenged your ability to trust him was actually a blessing to you that God in his absolute kindness did not give you what you wanted because it would have been the ruin of you and I get it I get that some of us are sitting in this room right now and you go well wait a minute Lynn I did get and I got pain and I got hurt and I got unfairness and and is it possible that God was actually teaching you and growing you and that the very thing that you are so disappointed in and that challenges you so much to consider him being in control of your life was actually his kindness and his blessing to you. It's interesting because Jesus, when it comes to this whole idea of part way in, part way out, this, I, I'm going to be a partial, partially dedicated follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm going to select the things that I will do for God, and then I'm going to reserve for myself the things I can't trust God in. Jesus just doesn't have a whole lot of time. Jesus just says, look, I, here's, I'm not going to play that game. We're, we're not going to call a truce of you being a partial disciple of me. See, you're, you're either going to get in and come and follow me, and that's going to be a commitment of your entire life, or we're just not going to play the game. 
Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, Jesus is pretty clear about it. It's Luke chapter 9. It's going to be really easy to find. If you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this passage. It's Luke chapter 9. It's at the beginning of what we call the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in. Luke chapter 9. Jesus is uh, doing his ministry, and he runs into some people who, ready, offer him partial followership. They say, look, I, I'm willing to follow you, Jesus. There's just some things that I, I'm not going to follow you in. I, I'll, I'll obey you in 70% of my life. There's just a portion of my life I'm not ready to give to you yet. And Jesus answers simply, no thanks. Here it is. It's, uh, it's Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 57. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of, of Man has no place to lay his head. And Scripture doesn't fill in the blank and tell us, but you get the impression that this guy goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, so, so you're, t you're telling me that if I follow you, then my finances don't turn out the way I planned. You, see, I, 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 I wasn't really bringing that to the table. And, and if you're telling me that the golden egg is now a brass egg, I, wow, I, I'm not sure I'm in. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, before you think, wow, that, that was pretty heartless. I mean, his father's dead. His dad is not dead. What's happening in this time and in this culture, there is no social security. There is no retirement fund. And so what young people did is when their parents aged out, could no longer work in the fields, it became their responsibility to take care of their parents until they died. And by doing that, you ready? They insured their portion of the inheritance. And that's what this guy says. Look, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but here's the deal. I need to go for a couple years. I need to let my father pass away. I'll insure my portion of the inheritance, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says, no. We're not negotiating a truce here. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, ready for this? No one who puts his hand to the plow. In other words, hey, you say, here I am, I'm going, we're going to do this, Jesus. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Why is this such a big deal to Jesus? Why is Jesus so intolerant of this idea of saying, look, God, here's the deal. I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to follow you in bits and pieces. I'm going to selectively decide what things I'm going to trust you with. I'm going to reserve some things to myself. And then, God, when you prove yourself, when I, when I see that you can be trusted, I'll consider giving you other portions of my life. And Jesus goes, look, we're just not even going to do that dance. I'm just not even interested in selective believers. I'm just not. Why would this be so hard for Jesus to swallow? And, and I think there's a couple of reasons. Number one is this, that when you and I behave like selective, when you and I say, God, look, I'm going to give you bits of my life, but I'm just not going to give you all of my life, it creates a false sense of maturity in our lives. Here's, here's what happens. You and I begin to give God different parts of us. 
and we begin to say, look, here's, here's the deal, God. I, I've given you my finances. I've given you my family. I, I'm going to give you my career, but here's the deal. I'm not going to give you my habits yet. I, I'm not going to give you these other parts of my life yet. Because here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch and see how you perform here. And then, based on your review, I'll think about giving you the other. But here's the deal. What if God does something really weird with your family? What if, what if you lose your job and you've given God your finances and now all of a sudden God looks like, dude, I mean, that, how undependable are you? How irre... I mean, I gave you that. I trusted you with it. And now you're messing it up. And in that moment, here's what you and I will do. We'll pull back some of the boxes. We'll go, look, it's pretty obvious uh, you're not understanding your responsibilities toward me. So here's the deal. Look, you're not going to deal with my finances right now. I'm, I'm going to go do my best to straighten them out and to fix it. I'm going to go get my next job, okay? In the meantime, you, you keep working on the things I left you with. And if, if you seem to kind of catch on a little bit better about what you're... Then we'll think about maybe someday letting you try this again. You get the moment. Who's the servant of who? And who's the God of who? And when you say to God, I will only trust you with selective portions of my life, but I still own the right of veto. I still have the capacity that if you mess that part up, if you don't perform to my satisfaction, I can bring it back. You get who's on the throne. And too many believers have given God, and they go, well, look, hey, wait, 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 Lynn. I, I've, given, I've given God more boxes than I've held back. I mean, I, I'm hugely mature. I mean, look, look how much. I bet you God's got 70, 80% of my life. I've, I've only held back a small portion of it. He does not have 80% of your life. The reality is he has none because you're still in charge. Not only do I believe that Jesus just says, look, I'm not going to do the dance because it's just a false idea of maturity, but the reality is if you selectively obey me, this has every potential to just blow your Christian walk to shreds. See, there, there's going to come a moment in your life, and, and you're going to go, wait, whoa, 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 wait a minute, how did that happen, and God, why did you let it, and, and you're going to be angry out of your head with me, and you're going to say, look, if this is what happens if I follow God 70%, then why would I ever trust God with 100%? I had a young man who grew up in my youth group years ago. His name was Jimmy, and Jimmy struggled with selective believism. He, he had portions of his life that he'd given to God, and he had portions of his life that he said, God, look, no, <laughs> you're not going to get that, not anytime soon. And the interesting part about Jimmy was is the parts he gave to God, man, you talk about on fire. I mean, it was just like a meteorite. I mean, the areas of his life that he'd given, he was so passionate and so on fire in those areas. The problem was the areas he hadn't given to God, he was equally as cold. And I watched the moment come when all of a sudden Jimmy's life, the bottom just fell out. I mean, it was just devastating. And here was Jimmy's answer. If that's what happens, when I give most of my life to God, why would I give all of my life to God? And I watched Jimmy get up and walk away from Jesus. And to this day, he has never returned. 
And I said to Jimmy as he left, I said, Jimmy, wait, 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 wait. I'm not sure that was God. I'm, I'm not sure what happened to you. God did. Let me see if I can help. I, I need some volunteers real quick. Okay, all right, one, come on. I need another volunteer. Okay, come on, she's making you come, come on. She pointed to you. She's like, I don't want to go, but you go. Okay, so come on, all right. What, what's your friend's name? Courtney. She's a horrible friend, isn't she? She is, she is just a horrible friend, okay. What's your name? Raquel. Raquel is only here because you pointed at her just now. Courtney. All right, all right. Okay, so Raquel, I'm gonna, because, because you got constrained, I'm going to give you the choice. Would you like to be the splasher or the splash E? Splasher. You want to be the splasher? Oh, like a splasher. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. Here is your bucket. Okay, you're going to go down to the second step. And when I say splash with all of your heart, you're going to splash. Okay, tell everybody your name. Patrick. Patrick, okay. Patrick is like perfect Patrick. He's the guy, okay. So, Patrick, you're going to come over here, okay. Okay, and you're hanging on, right? Go down there. All right. All right, so here's the deal. Here's how this works. Patrick is uh, a selective believer. He's a selective follower of Jesus Christ. Right here, this moment... This is exactly the perfect will of God. This is where God absolutely, if he was in full control of Patrick's life, would place Patrick's life. And you got to imagine this being like a seacoast with rocks. So we're standing kind of on the rocky cliffs here. That's the ocean, and the waves are coming up and breaking. Okay, But here's the deal. Patrick is a selective obeyer of God, and one of the areas of his life that he's not obeying is in his dating life. Because here's the deal. He's going, look, God, if I gave you control of my dating life, you'd probably mess it up because I'm looking for hot. That's what I'm, hot. That's like number one on the list. And if, and if I gave you my dating life, I'm pretty sure you'd bring me a girl who looks more like a missionary. So I, we just, we ain't going to, you probably have some little crochet cross, hair in a bun. We're not going to do that. We're doing hot, okay? So uh, all the rest of my life, Jesus, you can have, you just can't have the dating part of my life. And so sure enough, uh, in comes walking some gal, totally far from God, not serving Jesus, just has no regard for that, but she's hot. And Patrick gets a date. He, he knows he's, he's not in the perfect will of God. He, he knows he probably should not be dating her, but she's hot. Okay, and so this is the part of our life that God just doesn't get to mess with. Maybe after you marry her, then he can, God, you can bless my marriage. Okay, but she's hot. Okay. So now they're dating for a while, and here's the thing. She's so far from Jesus, and, and she doesn't have probably the same standards that a girl who knew Jesus would have, and so all of a sudden the relationship's getting physical. And, and all of a sudden Patrick finds himself on certain nights doing things that he probably knows that he probably shouldn't do. And, and then pretty soon, because she loves him, she wants to seal the deal. Let's bond our love together. And Patrick's moving over. Give me here hot, hot. And then, and then it comes to a point, he goes, you know, she's actually a pretty great gal, and you know, I, I, th I think I'll marry her. 
here's what you've got to get, and here's what we miss about selective. See, we think when we have selective disobedience, it's one-time disobedience. But you realize that area of your life that you have not given to God will have question mark after question mark come, and you will make decision after decision in that same area of your life, and you will suddenly find yourself living in a place that is absolutely removed from the center of God's will. We're going to change it. It's a job. And it's just a part of, Patrick goes, I, I didn't even know God cared about my job. And so now there come multiple job offers in Patrick's life, and he doesn't even think to pray about it. I mean, it's a job, right? You can serve God anywhere. And one of them's got amazing benefits, and, and it's just got kind of a neat vibe and a culture there at work, and the salary's pretty darn good. The other place means you have to move a little bit, and it'd be the west side of town, and who wants to live on the west side of town? Anyway, so he goes, goes you know, so, so he takes the job. But here's the deal. He doesn't even bother to pray. And what if God had intended him to have the other job? You get that right now he lives in a neighborhood that God never intended him to live in. And what he's missed is, is there, there were neighbors in the other neighborhood that Patrick was going to be their best chance of seeing Jesus. And now he's not there because he never bothered to pray. He gets to the job and the other job, the job he didn't take, a whole bunch of really strong, solid Christians at that job. And there was a Bible study going on that would have just absolutely catapulted his Christian walk forward. But not at the new job. Matter of fact, the pressure of the new job and the, the types of stories they're telling and the things they find humorous is actually causing him to have to work really hard to even hold ground. And then there's a culture and there's a climate there that says, hey, you know what? We work hard, but then we party hard. And so the big thing and the big culture of the job is, hey, afterwards we go out and we just drink till we can forget the week. And suddenly, Patrick is an awful long way from the center of God's will. And then it happens. He loses the job. His wife says, I don't love you anymore, and I want a divorce. And suddenly, life has a splash. Oh. It was your moment. It was your... Courtney, you could have done better, right? All right. And so here's my question. Here's my question. If we had been where we should have been, if we had been in the center of God's will, would the splash have even touched us? And suddenly you and I are asked to, because we selectively obeyed God and because the area of our life that we refuse to surrender causes us to repetitively move further out of God's will, then is what's happening in my life is the pain and the confusion and the, does it have anything to do with God? Or does it have everything to do with my disobedience? And if you're not careful, you'll stand in this moment and say, if this is what 70% of obeying God gets, why would I trust him with 100%? And it's the wrong question. Let's, let's give these guys a hand. Thank you, guys. It, it wasn't that bad. It was, but you need to work on it a little bit. Okay, all right. Thank you. Okay, so we've already said, look, 
Jesus says, look, we're not, we're not going to play that game. I'm just not going to do that dance with you. Because here's the deal. You're going to think you're way more mature than you actually are. You're, you're going to live a life of repetitive disobedience. And you're going to end up so far from my will. And then something's going to come up. And you're going to blame me for the splash in your life and the disappointment. We're just not going to do it. But I, I think there's another reason that God just, Jesus says, look, look, you're either in or you're not. You're either going to follow me with all your heart or you're not. And that's simply this. As long as you and I stay in a, in a stance of selectively obeying God, of saying, God, I'll trust you with parts of my life, but I won't trust you with all my life, you will never be happy. You will never know the joy of truly following Christ. You will never experience the freedom that being a disciple brings. It will always be something unsatisfying. And I guarantee you there are some of you in here today right now and you're just going, man, I've been trying this Jesus thing for so long and I just don't get why it doesn't fill me more. I don't get why I'm not, because you're selectively obeying. And there's, there's nothing more tepid. There's nothing less satisfying than a partial follower of Jesus Christ. You'll never experience what God has for you part-time. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles one last time real quickly. Go with me to the book of Revelation. This ought to be super easy. It's the very last book of the Bible. It's Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Here's what it says. This is Jesus talking. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, which is another name for Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. And then here's what Jesus says, you ready? I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Jesus just says, look, look, here's the deal. I, I wish you were either just so obviously against me. I wish you'd just say, look, Jesus is a hoax, and he's, no thanks. Or that you'd be on fire and say, look, I am in, and I am giving my life to this. But please, 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 Jesus says, don't be halfway in. Don't give me partial, don't give me bits and pieces of your life and ask me to apply for the rest. This will be absolutely unfulfilling for you. It'll be absolutely unfulfilling for me. It's going to be like drinking lukewarm water. No thanks. No thanks. My son, uh, this last week, got engaged. Very cool moment for me. I never thought I was going to get rid of him. So very, no. <laughs> no, the fun, exciting part is this little girl loves Jesus with all her heart. And so Lisa and I could not be more thrilled uh, and he asked her Friday night. It's been interesting since Friday night, though, because they, they came over and hung out at my house a little bit last night. And uh, Amy, the girl that he got engaged to, it, she, she's just kind of dancing around. She just can't hardly, <laughs> just can't stand still. It's like she's just always, dancing. she's just so excited about this. My son, Joshua, just sits there with this big grin. <sighs> and you get it. I mean, they're just out of their minds excited. I mean, they're just thrilled other heads that they found each other. They are just so all into this thing. And I guarantee you their mantra is, we're going to do this marriage thing so much better than our parents. You know, and they're just all excited. And you know what, guys, I'm thrilled for that. I mean, 
good for them. I mean, that's, that's how you ought to go into a marriage, right? Just, I'm in, 100% of me. Because think about what the alternative is. What, what if my son Joshua was saying to me, hey, Dad, look, here's the deal. I, I actually had about three other girls higher on my list. I asked them out, and they wouldn't go with me. And Amy was the first one who said yes. And so I just, you know... What if Amy was saying, you know, hey, here's, here's the deal. I, you know, I, I've been waiting and waiting, and, and, and nobody was showing up, and I'm getting a little bit older now. And then, you know, Josh came along. So I figure, you know, hey, you know, we, we can kind of, you ready? We, we can kind of fall in love with each other progressively. We'll just give each other a little bit more of our hearts, a little more commitment along the way. You tell them, don't you dare. If you don't, if you don't go into marriage just absolutely 100% give, if you don't give all of it to it, man, the, the best thing you could do then is break up. I mean, the worst thing you could do is go into a marriage lukewarm about each other, right? Does it surprise you that Jesus feels the same way? Don't, don't come to me and say, look, I, okay, you were the best thing left. I, I think I'll follow you partially. I think I'm kind of in there weren't any other options that day. Are you surprised that Jesus says, no thanks. Man, either come all in, stop giving me bits and pieces of your love, or just get all out. I'm 15 years old, and I am super struggling with this whole selective obedience thing. I'd given God parts of my life, and I thought I was doing pretty good in my Christian walk. And then there came the moment. Jesus pointed to the box that I was like, if I'm honest, you're never getting that box. And partly because I knew if he ever got that box, he'd have all of me. Because that was the last box I was going to ever be willing to give. And, and if I actually gave him that box, all the other boxes were going to fall in line. They, they, they were all going to be part of it because no other box in my heart was as big as that box. And for me, it was ministry. And, and I'm just telling you, if you go back to Gateway Baptist Church, third pew back on the left, I'm convinced that you can find the finger impressions as the church sang at the end of the service, just as I am, and I'm hanging onto the pew for dear life saying, just as I won't. And I was terrified at the idea of saying, God, I, and here was my thing. I'm going, God, look, I hate speaking publicly. And I re, I've got really cool hair, God, and I refuse to slick it all back. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. And preachers, preachers all wear polyester. And I said, God, no. Any other box but that box. And I remember it was three Sundays in. I I'd hung on for as long as I could. And, and, and I finally, I walked to the front of that little Baptist church. And I walked up to the preacher and I said, I, I, I just think God's calling me to ministry. And I'll never forget what the pastor said. Why? <laughs> and, and if you'd known me at the time, you'd understand this question. You, you know, you want to hear the interesting thing? 
that very area, that very box, that very thing that I said will be the last thing I ever, you realize that's the thing that's brought me the greatest joy in my life that God has blessed me out of my head in, and, and second only to my marriage has been the most deeply satisfying, thrilling thing that God has ever invited me to do. And guys, I'm not, oh, I'm, I'm not suggesting ministry. I'm just saying every one of us has that last box. And I don't know what yours is. It could be a habit. It could be your finances. It could be your marriage. I don't know what the last box is. But every one of us in this room, you know what that last box is. And you know that if you gave God the last box, he'd have all of you because none of the other boxes would matter as much. And I'm just going to suggest sometimes, sometimes your best option is surrender. That sometimes the wisest and best and greatest thing you could do would be to get up off the throne of your life and bow down before your God and say, I'm done. I will never again sit in that chair because I'm giving it to you never to take it back again. I'm raising the white flag. Sometimes, surrender is our best option. And here's my prayer today. As we do this series, as you and I keep going, that you would be sensitive enough to hear the heart of God. And if somewhere along in this journey, he points and he says, that's the one that you would choose in that moment to move into the joy and the thrill of God and raise your white flag. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we're just, we're just going to be honest uh, today and tell you that this conversation is terrifying. And we've, we've really, in many ways in our lives, sought to manage you. And, and our thought was, I'll just keep giving God little bits and pieces of me. And, and eventually, eventually he'll have most of me, or maybe even eventually he would have all of me. And what we haven't realized in the moment is that when we give you ourselves bits and pieces at the time, the truth is we haven't given you anything. That God's 70% obedience takes us completely out of your will and takes us to places in our life where we're not even going to know how to interpret life. Because what's splashing on us and the consequences may not even have been where you had intended us to be. We could end up married to the wrong people and working in the wrong jobs and living in the wrong neighborhood and our lives could be so far from the center of your will. God, the truth is, it's no fun. It's no fun to be a partial follower of Jesus. It's no fun to be halfway committed to this relationship. And so, God, I'm just going to ask that you would do a work, that in the next few weeks together, you'd bring all of us to a place of complete and total surrender, that the people of Cornerstone would end up raising their white flags and just saying, Jesus is Lord, and we're not. Would you do that in our hearts? And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.